You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Well, there we have it, fellow travellers. Welcome to edition 550 of the Renegade Economist's Well, not only are we celebrating 550, but also today is the one-year anniversary of uh, us moving to the countryside up to Drummond. So much to celebrate here. We've done everything except name our farm. Goodness me, we've been through the ringer trying to come up with that name that just uh, meets all of our long-term goals. If you've got a zinger, send it through. But uh, over that year, we've fixed the house. Been a huge achievement to uh, lock up all the leaks in this big uh, home. Uh, new new solar tubes installed, uh, everything. But uh, our solar panels, still trying to find a solution to that. We spent some 13 grand, maybe five years ago, on solar panels, a 2.9 kilowatt system. Very excited to be able to dismantle it and bring it up here. But uh, according to the uh, regulator, we cannot reinstall a four-year-old solar system. Can you believe it? If anyone's got a, got an answer on that one, let me know. Apparently it's something to do with fire regulations. But uh, really, goodness me, the, the amount of embedded energy in those solar panels... Uh, to just think that we need to throw them out is ridiculous. There must be some uh, rent-seeking involved in that sort of decision-making, hey? How can they think that's rational? So uh, what about the land, Carl? You've been up there a year. What have you done? Well, we have created 12 garden beds. We've got the uh, new pump in. We've got irrigation systems uh, almost set up. But really, uh, most of this is just in our in our homestead paddock. What about the rest of the land, the 27 acres? Well, sure, I've learned a little bit about fencing, but uh, the big thing we've done in the last few weeks was reclaimed about three acres. Now, how on earth do you do that, Carl? Well, you call in a guy named Pat Mansbridge and his gorse muncher. Remember gorse, uh, that English hedging crop that uh, somehow got to Australia and is uh, causing devastation through this area near Malmesbury, Kyneton, Dalesford sort of a region. Uh, Many, many farmers are losing acres and acres of land uh, to this pest that must be about 10 times worse than thistles, if you ask me. Uh, Yeah, so this giant uh, big... Uh, Bobcat came in and uh, munched up uh, so much of this gorse. So, uh, yeah, if you ever want to come up and talk economics uh, as uh, I uh, cut my way through, the rest of the gorse is still here. There's there's plenty left. Uh, big thanks goes out to Landcare uh, Malmesbury for uh, providing half of the money for that uh, gorse munching so uh, great to have got that uh, out of the way all right well uh, that's it for the Drummond Farm update Uh, great to be up here and looking out over these beautiful vistas I hope 
in another year's time, I'll have uh, something further to report on that all-important uh, dream of mine, of uh, my lovely wife, Rainers, and that is to establish a community land trust. Uh, yeah, we're getting it together on that front, but uh, these things take a long time. All right, so what else has been happening in our world? Well, recently my colleague Jesse Hermans and I presented at the Victorian government's inquiry into the long-term, basically the land titles registration privatisation, something that uh, we've been uh, uh, following around the world as uh, these latest dictates out of Davos have come out to say, look, Geospatial analysis, uh, Google Earth, uh, looking in on what's happening to land values, looking in on what's happening in real estate. We can't let this happen. Let's uh, lift the barriers to analysis by privatizing land titles registries. Remember, uh, you know, we've been covering this story on and off for about four years. We've seen it rejected in the UK. We've had uh, discuss- we've covered before how in Manitoba, Canada, there was a 30% increase in land titles registration fees that funded a $12 million executive payout in the first year. And uh, then to New South Wales, where, again, big concerns about the costs of data acquisition in this so-called geospatial era, well... Now, uh, it's right here in our own uh, back door. The Victorian government announced in 2016 that they would uh, privatise the land titles registry and use that money to fund domestic violence uh, programs. As I've said before, I'll say it again, just so sad that that's where our level of thinking is. Daniel Andrews, a so-called progressive premier, decides that uh, he's going to make the cost of data analysis more expensive for the big ticket item that leads to so many dinner table arguments over the finances and that is the cost of land and housing. Let's just cover up those costs, keep the domestic violence going. It just, I don't know, maybe I'm out of line saying that but it's just ridiculous that they think that uh, this is something that uh, should be privatised. So, needless to say, the transcript will be published soon. We will read my opening line. In a property-owning democracy, privatising the land titles registry is akin to privatising the police force. And what we've heard is that International property valuation firms have come to Victoria undercutting domestic companies' land and property valuation fees just so they can get first dibs on the land data so they can get ahead of the curve and sell those uh, trends off to their investors so they can make better decisions about where to buy where the greatest likelihood of profit will be when it comes to real estate. 
That's what we're seeing, that uh, these land titles privatizations are giving property investors yet another advantage over home buyers in terms of uh, placing the winning bid, winning bid at an auction. And that's what uh, much of our discussion was about as witnesses. It was quite something to be in the witnesses box and know that we could say anything without fear of uh, libel. And so we have a Californian-based company called CoreLogic that uh, buys the data up from the Valuer General's office. And what's come out in this inquiry is that the government still doesn't really know how valuable this property data is. And there was some conjecture from CEO of DELP, the government department managing the land titles uh, office, Land Use Victoria, uh, where they weren't quite certain whether they were going to include the Valuer General's data uh, in the land data website, which would be the new portal, giving whatever entity wins the, uh, the right to, to privatise our land data. And if that Valuer General's data is included there, well, then that adds millions of dollars to the sale price. But... All inclinations from government are that uh, these looming trends uh, as people uh, lie on their hammock in their favourite tax haven buying real estate uh, that is dictated by algorithms that have uh, some 64 different metrics to tick off as in the uh, ultimate strike zone for purchasing. That's what's coming. Uh, they're analysing so many data points to refine where... There is uh, limited housing supply competition, but uh, incredible interest in terms of household formation rates. That's what they're scouring the internet looking for, and that's where they press the strike button and in go the property buyers uh, behind them and the property stylists, the property maintenance uh, people, the, the managers and so forth and uh, these uh, giant investors don't have to step foot in the property anymore the whole production process has been packaged and bundled up into uh, a series of add-ons that keep pushing up the price of housing wherever you look So for this uh, land titles registration long-term lease, uh, one of our main concerns was whether the sale made any economic sense. And Jesse Herman uh, laid out the numbers and said, look, if we're going to sell the land titles registry for some $2 billion and they're pulling in some $370 million a year, apparently two-thirds of that uh, revenue stream will be maintained within public interest. So if we say something like $120 million a year, the the land titles office could be delivering to the government, that's delivering a yield of about 6%, quite high. And our point was, look, the government could just sell bonds to the market at 3%. And so that's a difference of about $60 million a year. That's how much we the people will be losing from this sale. 
And that has nothing to do with the potential for all of types of data aggregation that are coming that could well be possible in the future. And that doesn't include the, the sort of the potential for innovating on data aggregation. So uh, there could be all sorts of new products that come out in the future, but are we getting $60 million worth of innovation in this sale? And uh, that was something that David Davis from the Liberal Party, the chair of this inquiry, was uh, pushing. Look, it's all uh, privatisation is really about innovation. That's what we want to see. So uh, very quickly, we were able to talk about the value of uh, open source data. And really, there's very little innovation uh, that can be matched by people from all around the world being able to access this data and put it to creative uses. Perhaps in terms of innovation, they might design a prettier website, but in terms of what's done with that data... Companies will focus on what's uh, going to deliver them the greatest profit, whereas data analysts will be looking at at the trends portrayed through this data in any manner of number of ways. So uh, that is something that uh, privatization cannot beat, cannot uh, justify a, a fancy-looking website for some $60 million a year. The other good point uh, Jesse Hermans made is, look, if it is about innovation, why give them a 40-year lease? Let's just make it 10 years. Uh, 40 years is too much protection for them. Why lock ourselves into uh, a group who may well be ineffective? All right, listeners, uh, let's have a listen to the UN Special Rapporteur for Housing, Leilani Faha, speaking this week. The Global Platform for the Right to the City and Habitat International Coalition have a very important role to play with the shift because we need voices. We need to have a unified message across the world that housing is a human right, housing is not a commodity. And so the Global Platform and Habitat International Coalition can bring together their members to really assert this loudly. We need to have voices everywhere because the forces that we are trying to tackle are huge. So there's Lilani Faha, the UN Special Rapporteurs on Housing, who's got a campaign out called The Shift. And she was uh, pushing that uh, quite effectively at the UN high-level political forum in New York that's just wrapped up over the last uh, couple of hours. And Yunus Arakan uh, shines a light on the need for good data where he says, aggregation of place-based data supported by downscaling of global and national data is the key to vertically integrated measurement of the progress in global goals. So this uh, big conference was a lot about the sustainable development goals and uh, how society can really make a difference. There's a great tweet that's doing the rounds. Trickle-down economics has proved a spectacular oxymoron. Torrent-up economics far better describes the realities of wealth distribution. All right, let's take a step back in time uh, Back about five years ago uh, with Dave Geeson, who uh, runs a George's Talk in San Francisco. If you're ever in San Francisco on a Saturday morning, uh, make sure you check out Dave Geeson. Takes people on a walk. I've uh, 
played a, a show or two of his uh, with excerpts from that that walk and uh Last year or so, I think Jeremy Corbyn actually went on the walk to find out uh, all about this concept of land value tax. But uh, let's go to a, a clip here of Dave Geeson talking about what Leilani was uh, recognising, that uh, it's all about power. How can we deal with it? What perspectives do we analyse it from? Henry George was interested in why is there power and why are there those who don't have power. And his first, his first point was, uh, well, actually his first question was, what gives a person the right to say this is mine and not yours? What is, why is that yours and not mine? And why is this ours? So property rights, in other words. And his conclusion was making something makes it yours. If it did not exist before you put it together, that's why you get to say it's yours. Now, you may not agree with this, but this is his point of view. And that seems to explain, if you agree with that, what we see around us here. The buildings were made by people who sold their time to somebody else, and the person who paid everyone is the person who owns the building. The park is public. Well, the public made it, so the public made it. That's why it belongs to the public. But when it comes to nature, this system doesn't make any sense. Who made nature? Who made the earth itself? Nobody. So George said, That's the, that has to be part of the problem. We have to answer the question of who owns nature. Well, in the past, it's been answered with the weapon. <laughs> I have a bigger arm than you have. I win. I am the pirate. I take from you. Or the statement that I'm, God loves me more than he loves you, and therefore I get the land and you don't. I get nature. That's the, the past story. And George said, that doesn't make any sense. How can we determine who uses or owns nature? And the genius of George was not to look at nature itself, but to look at the value of nature. And to illustrate what I mean by that, imagine I, you don't live in Bogota, but you live, oh, you do, yeah. So imagine yourself, imagine that we're now in downtown Bogota right now. And there's this big build, well, let's look at a building you can see, this white building here. Imagine that that building, which the way George said, if you make something, it's yours. So the building belongs to somebody. But in your mind, imagine that building gone, but the rest of Bogota remaining. Does that piece of land, nature, that's nature underneath that building, does that piece of nature have more value than an equal amount of land outside of Bogota, out in the countryside? Would people pay more for land in Bogota than they would for farmland out in the... Yeah, of course. Why? It's the growth of community. There's more people there, people wanting to do stuff, right? And so people, I'd rather, if I wanted to go into business, I'd rather be downtown Bogota than I'd rather be out in the countryside. Exactly, it's people. So George's genius was to not look at land, but to look at the value of land. And so his question was, who made the building? Somebody. That person owns the building. Who made land? Nobody. Who made the value of land? Community. That was Dave Geeson on Power. And Henry George's savvy take that, uh, look, it's all about the value of that land and who owns it. And uh, as we heard with Leilani talking about uh, 
housing that's been commodified. Many say, look, uh, we can't see the forest for the trees. Well, I like to say, look, we can't see the land for the housing. And unless we get the language correct, we're just not going to be able to move fast enough to deal with these rent seekers who have government around their little finger as they extract greater and greater economic rents, government guarantees, monopoly rights. That's what government's become. It's become uh, the, well, become, well, many would say, look, it always has been. It's been the fact that we just haven't understood well enough these monopoly rights and how that's what really matters. It's not the Marxist view of labor versus capital. We've got to go way deeper than that. We've got to understand that both labor and capital rely on land to work. And if the price of that land is too high and slapped on top of that, we have uh, piles of tax paperwork we have to fill out as well, then that seriously curtails our ability to be sovereign, to be able to start up our own business, to employ people we like, to pay them properly in a uh, harmonious atmosphere where the financial pressures aren't etching away at our morals. As we keep talking about on this show, Australia is one of the last places on the planet where we do independently value land from housing. And unless we're careful, we're going to lose that. My, my, I, uh, in my midwinter slump here, I just uh, beat my head against a wall going, goodness me, I wish I was a better writer. I wish I was better at Twitter. What can I do? How can I get more people on board telling the story? Because it's just madness that uh, we have this built-to-rent revolution, the latest housing industry uh, Trojan to try and... Uh, curry favour with policymakers that, look, we do have the answers to this affordability quagmire. And so there we are in uh, there. My mate John Jamison sends me an email. Look what they're doing in New South Wales. They're actually donating crown land to developers to build so-called affordable housing. My, oh my, we better find out the name of that development. I hope it wasn't called Gilead. Anyone who's been watching uh, The uh, Handmaiden's Tale, what a scary, horrific series that is, but uh, one that could well define our future, the way things are looking at present. Well, uh, America has been overtaken by by the patriarchal right wing who uh, totally enslave females to... uh, their whims and desires and uh, here we have in Australia a developer calling a development Gilead. I don't think many women would like to live there. Again language, can we get it right? So of course uh, back to uh, the privatization story with the Land Titles Registration Office, Uh, yeah back when uh, the government announced that they were going to fund this domestic violence program by selling off uh, the data stream that could shine a light on why so many households are in financial pressure. 
Well, soon after that, the government engaged in the, the good old tricks of fattening the pig by increasing conveyancing fees. They basically uh, doubled them between 2015 and 2016. They went up from uh, $1,370 to $3,603. And that, of course, quickly probably doubled the value of uh, what the government wanted to um, to receive from uh, this long-term lease of uh, land titles registration. So etching by etching, they cut away at the commons, they cut away at uh, the power of the public office, and soon we're going to have uh, multinational corporations knowing who owns what land and uh, being in control of that data rather than our democratically elected government. Well, what say we, dear democracy? And for a democracy to have any idea of why we really need an economic democracy so that we've got money in our wallets to be able to do the things we need to do, a number of years ago I asked my old professor, Professor John Freeburn at Melbourne University, a point that stumped me during my degree. Listen to this to understand what's really missing from our language, our economic language. Just have to ask, because I, I, I went through uni and the, virtually the first lesson, the number one formula written on the chalkboard was output equals capital plus labour. And the story was you are going to discover how that occurs. By the time it came to third year, Almost the last uh, last lecture was, um, look, ladies and gents, um, output does not equal labour plus capital. And I'm sorry to say we have no idea why there are these disequilibriums going on. There, there's, there's a missing element to economics. Basically, I was shocked by this knowledge that output doesn't equal capital plus labour. So, uh, Professor Freeband, do you have a, an, an angle on why, why we can't get um, a f- the full picture behind uh, national GDP our output? I guess uh, the missing input is what you'd refer to as natural resources. Uh, so that's land. Um, and we can think of that in different contexts. Uh, we can think of it in terms of uh, agriculture that's producing food. Uh, we can think of it as location. So if you're in the CBD, uh, there's not much of it. Lots of people want to sit on it. Um, If you get further away from the CBD, not quite so many people want to sit on it. And if you get into the middle of the Simpson Desert, well, almost nobody wants to sit on it. Uh, So how do we allocate this limited land amongst different uses? Well, we have a price for it that's called rent. And so because lots of people want that land in the CBD, it's worth a hell of a lot per hectare. You go to the suburbs, it's down to 100 grand. You go out to a farm that can produce uh, high quality wine and fruit, probably worth a couple thousand a hectare. Uh, You can go out um, into the Western districts and all it can do is run a few sheep and cattle, maybe a couple hundred bucks a hectare. And then you can go out to the Simpson Desert where it can run uh, some exotic plants, but almost for free. Uh, What's also interesting, I think, is that as uh, population has expanded and we've become wealthier, uh, land as an environmental amenity provider 
has become more and more important. And so you can think of uh, water down the Murray-Darling, for example. Uh, you go back to about 1980, that was almost uh, irrigators had open slather at that. Uh, nobody really worried about the environment. And then, uh, hi, well, we were using too much water for irrigation. Some of the red gums were suffering. Water wasn't running into the Coorong. Uh, we decided, hey, we've got to change this allocation a bit. And so, um, you know, around uh, early this century, we've allocated about $12 billion, I think, uh, to buy water off irrigators, um, to uh, remove uh, wastage of water, essentially to pour more money down to the environment. And uh, that hasn't come to an end yet. That debate will keep going. So I think uh, just to make it simple for you people as students, we just use capital and labour as inputs, but we should really use uh, different types of capital, different types of labour, and a whole lot of natural resource inputs. Thanks for listening to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. Check out the show notes at earthsharing.org.au and get in touch via Twitter at earthsharing. May your wallet have a happy week.